welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And we're back after a bit of a hiatus. And so is football. It is officially the Hall of Fame game. It's kind of back. It's preseason. Uh, Blaine Gabbert, um, I mean, Glaine Babbert, it's real cute how everyone's misspelling his name on Twitter, uh, <laughs> is is playing and throwing footballs against people who maybe won't be on NFL rosters in a couple weeks. Oh, man, Today, the other quarterback right now is Kellen Moore. Dubs. <laughs> Kellen Moore right now in the game. It's it's great. Football's back. Today, today is National IPA Day, which is phenomenal. So I think both David and I are drinking pale ale of the India variety. <laughs> David is almost back in Austin, Texas. What? This is show 199. Our our 200th show will be a reunion show with David back in Austin. Uh, And in case you were wondering, it is training camp season. So David and I are indeed in the best shape of our lives. Been training hard for this moment, you know? Yep. Uh, Lots of drinking. A lot of extra beer. Um, You know, it's just you got to you got to get amped for the season, you know? Um, That's right. Everybody's out there working hard. We're no different. Yeah, you know, SB Nation asked me to drop like two and a half pounds uh, to get in shape. And, and I, you know, it was hard. It was real hard, but I could do it. I did it. I did it for the job. I do it for you. That's, that's, that's the kind of dedication you can get from the Better Rivals podcast. But let's get to the rundown. Actual football news. And, you know, we're going to take this IPA and pour some out for old Bruce Ellington. Man. Home, homeboy's been waved. Uh, what a flash in the pan. Um, really more of a flash in the hamstring than anything else. Too real. <laughs> too too real uh it it's i mean it kind of sucks but at the same time i mean the writing was has been kind of on the wall with this right all off season i think we talked about maybe during the the last mailbag episode that we did um kind of before scheme month and, and whatnot there were some questions about like hey we have trent taylor now and you know jeremy Curley's back and you know what's gonna happen with bruce ellington it's like well he might be gone and like that day came i mean uh and i think it it is kind of uh, you know, good for him that it's happening early in the process and it's not, yep. you know, right uh, kind of at the end when, you know, there's only the one cut now from 90 to 53. So uh, he's not having to wait until the preseason's over, essentially, to have this happen and try to find a team. Um, you know, I, th- I think he will latch on somewhere. I mean, I think he's a talented player. It just never worked out. He was never able to stay healthy. And, uh, you know, obviously a new regime is going to bring in their guys and, and get guys that uh, you know, they want to kind of build around here. And um, I think, yeah, you could kind of see that this was going to be coming. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the team has done him a bit of a favor, like you said, by cutting him this early. He, you have to remember that his athleticism numbers were ridiculous. He was a better athlete, according to Spark, than both Brandon Cooks and Odell Beckham. So it, the the problem has been injuries. And if he can go to a team that can, you know, either has the ability to, to, to try him out or... Maybe he figures out how to stay healthy. I think the guy can produce. I think he can be a good slot receiver. So some team will probably claim him because he's. Still, this is only his, I think, fourth year. Th- yeah, um, enter, entering his fourth year. Yeah, yeah. So he's subject to waivers. Someone will claim him, and and good luck to Allington with whatever team uh, is going to pick him up on waivers. Yeah, definitely. Only other story this week is going to be the Football Outsiders Almanac, which was released last week. And they have a chapter on every team. And I think the chapter this year on the 49ers was really, really well written. And if you haven't read the Football Outsiders Almanac or the chapters on the specific teams, definitely recommend it as a read. Go and pick up a copy. But we're not going to spend much time talking about the look back because, you know, I think our first offseason podcast this year said blow it all the fuck up. And they did just that. So there's no point in looking back. Over half the roster has been turned over. Let's look forward. And in looking forward, the Football Outsiders Almanac has a really, really interesting number called the Mean Wins Projection. And David's going to tell you what that mean win projection is, but I think it's important to understand how that number is calculated. Because what Football Outsiders does is they take several inputs, the team's DVOA over the past three seasons, and on offense, a separate projection for the starting quarterback. They also have as an input uh, the value of offseason personnel changes, so every everyone that you added, people that you've lost, net personnel change in DR among non-quarterbacks, net change in approximate value above replacement level for defense, and they include other factors like coaching experience, recent draft history, players returning from injury. They put a bunch of these inputs future-looking, not, not looking in the past, but future-looking, and come out with certain outcomes and ranges. And they basically have these equations, and they get a 1,000 different simulations with 32 sets of DVOA ratings, 
and then they run those variances another thousand times through a simulation to create to create a million different simulations of a team's season. And then they basically tell you, well, on average, out of all those million, how many wins does this team get? And the Niners are, I, I thought their number was a little surprising. David, what was their mean wins projection based on a football outsider's almanac? Um, and so the so the actual mean wins is 6.5. Um, and I think the reason that's a little surprising uh, brings up an important qualifier when talking about these mean projections. So when, when you're talking about that number of simulations, right, that they're going through, these mean win projections that they put out uh, tend to group toward the middle, right? There's just a natural tendency over that many different simulations that you know, everybody's going to kind of lump towards eight and eight a little bit. And so because you of that, you curve, see, basically. yeah, I mean, so there, there are only two teams that don't have a win projection between six wins and 10 wins. Uh, and, and that's Pittsburgh and New England who come in just above uh, 10 there. So it, it really it's better to look at kind of one where that 6.5 win projection lands them among the rest of the league. And then I think looking at some of the percentages that they offer in terms of, you know, what do they think the likelihood that they fall within certain win ranges? What is the likelihood that they make the playoffs? I think that gives you a, a little bit more telling uh view of how they think that this season is going to play out for the Niners. And so when you look at that 6.5, that's actually the third worst, right? So, okay, on one hand, 6.5, you're like, oh, all right, that'd be, I'd be kind of into that, right? That seems like maybe on the, the, the higher end there, that's a fairly optimistic view, but it's really not like it's, it's really there uh, kind of, you know, again, at the bottom of the league, they're one of four teams uh, that have a projection under seven wins, um, and I think that, you know, again, even though we may see and I think uh, I think we both expect to see an improved team and an, an improved level of play, that's still relative, right? They still have a long way to go they're, they're They were very, very low last year and the year before uh, in, in terms of their quality of play there. So that step forward is still going to leave them, I think, somewhere at the bottom of the league. When you look at those percentages and they break out what they think the team is going to or where they think the team is going to land. And they have different categories. They have on the clock, which is zero to four wins. The Niners have a 23% chance of ending with zero to four wins. Mediocrity, which is five to seven. They have a 45% chance of landing in that five to seven range. Playoff contender, eight to 10, 26%. Super Bowl contender, 11 plus wins, 7%. So if you take a look at the bottom two categories, zero to seven wins, basically, you're looking at about almost a 70% chance that they are in zero into the zero to seven win territory. And I think that probably checks out. I think Vegas has the over under at what five. Something like, yeah, I haven't checked recently, but yeah, I think that's uh, roughly, roughly in that range. It was like, yeah, five, five and a half. Right yeah. Now. Somewhere around there. And I feel like even five and a half might be a little high. Like I might take the under at five and a half. I feel like five is a solid kind of win projection for this team, which would be great. I think it would be an improvement. And much like we said with some of the chip Kelly stuff, oftentimes you're looking for just competitive games because even those were rare in 49ers teams of the last two years. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that four to six range is, is kind of where I would have, uh, wanted to place them. Um, I think based on, you know, again, everything that we've seen, um, they're, they're likely to get, you know, a little bit more luck in close games that they didn't have last year. And, you know, there, there were definitely some games that they had an opportunity to win last year that, that, uh, didn't happen. So, I think, yeah, I mean, you, you combine that with, I think the the talent level has improved. It's still not great. They still have a long way to go there, but I, I think it'd be hard to argue that they haven't improved on that front. Um, and so, yeah, I think ultimately you start to see a team that's more competitive, uh, that probably is able to pull out a few more of those close games. And I think that lands them, again, I think four to six seems to, to make about the most sense. And it seems like with the way that those projections, uh, you know, kind of uh, spread out there across the different sections there, um, I think that is is a similar way to the the way Football Outsiders views this team right now. So Football Outsiders, despite the fact that they have a six point five mean win projection, is actually not pro- not really projecting like oh yeah they're going to have like seven wins. It's probably still going to be near the bottom of the league. And both David and I think that somewhere in that four to six range, I think the five win range is probably right at that sweet spot. It is more than likely where they will end up. Other random tidbits I thought were interesting in the article. From 2012 to 2016, the 49ers ended up making 51 selections in the NFL draft. That's three more than any other team. 
They were playing the front half of that. Balky was playing the front end of that strategy perfectly. Have a lot of picks because it increases your hit rate in theory, <laughs> except none of the players actually worked out. So you've like, that's he, you basically, it's like you have to have a good GM for that strategy to work or even like a kind of competent GM. And Balky I, yeah. just, I mean, it, just, it didn't work out. It, I mean, it clearly didn't work. Like that, that's probably uh, I, I would love to see like the data that they have on uh, on kind of all teams. Like that's got to be one of the lowest hit rates like that, that they have data for when it comes to that stuff. Um, well, they have what they do in the article is they talk about um, approximate value, which is the the pro football reference kind of value. And, and they have an expected approximate value based on the number of picks and where they picked. Yeah. And the only team to get less out of their picks on average was the Browns. Yeah. And th- well, th- and this is recently too, right? This was for like 2012, 2012 to, to 2016. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean like historically, like when you look at kind of a stretch with one GM, <laughs> like that, that has to be a near historic no, level. Matt of, Millen. Uh, You've got to think of Matt Millen. I mean, even Matt Millen got Calvin Johnson. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, like I guess technically didn't, no, 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 because McLuhan got Staley. What was the the, the, the first, draft where he rode McLuhan's coattails? Because it would have been 2010. 2011. 2010, oh. which was the draft uh, that had Bowman and Anthony Davis and yeah. Mikey Potty. Um, yeah. yeah, that was the 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 yeah. first one there that Balky was technically running the show on. But um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, obviously he had some major flaws when it came to that. I think. Uh, you know, we've said pretty repeatedly at this point that I think there were a lot of things uh, from a process standpoint that he was, you know, good with and was on point with. I mean, now, you know, knowing what we know about uh, Marate's role and, and everything there, maybe you start to argue that, OK, he didn't even have anything to do with those good parts. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think we really know the answer to that. But, um, yeah, I think there were some things there in terms of how they approach a lot of offseason stuff that that was good from a process standpoint. And then the execution was just terrible. They just ultimately couldn't find the players. And that's how you uh, go from a team that is competing for conference championships every year to a team that's picking second overall in just a couple of years. Like uh, life comes at you fast. My favorite quote of the week was from a Tim Kawakami article in The Athletic, which you subscribed, I think, to The Athletic, too, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, I did too. The articles yep. have been pretty good so far. I've I've really enjoyed it. And they look really good on the app as well. But he said that the 49ers under Balky were emotionally constipated. <laughs> and that's my favorite. Yep, that's, that's my that's like phrase of the week. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's um, other, perfect. Other interesting tidbit, Joshua Garnett had a blown block once every 32 and a half plays, which is the worst rate for any qualifying interior offensive lineman in the entire NFL yeah not great not Not great folks not great Uh, Uh, but he is moving to left guard and hopefully he'll benefit from having joe staley next to him and last tidbit that i thought was super interesting looking forward was about earl mitchell if earl mitchell could match last year's 88 percent run stop rate which is what he did last year in miami it would be the highest for a 49ers lineman since abreo franklin in 2010 that's that's like yeah interesting yeah, it's been kind of a, I mean, obviously we know run defense hasn't been super great, uh, especially last year. You know, they that was a major problem. And uh, I think they, they they very much need to, you know, hopefully stay healthy up front and, uh, you know, get, got, you know, as people like Earl Mitchell, you know, DeForest Buckner, hopefully he can stay healthy. We already had like a minor scare with him. Um, you know, if, if all that stuff can come together, like, I think we see that improve, but yeah, I mean, hopefully Mitchell, he's going to be at that nose tackle spot. I think Quentin dial too, like he's going to be, uh, you know, maybe an underrated piece of this line. Cause I think he can play like three different spots probably along the line. Um, it, depending on how they want that rotation to work out. So I think, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see some improvement there. All right, so let's get to it then. Let's get to the mailbag because this is indeed the mailbag show. You'll have to forgive the Technical difficulties that prevented us from having this last night. My internet went out. That's basically all it came down to. Um, and Worse. I wasn't about I wasn't about to try and hotspot an entire podcast uh, via my phone. I don't think that would have been way fun. too much data. Yeah, that's that's. I've, I mean, I've got a little bit of rollover data, not that much rollover. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna open up with uh, just like with training camp, we're gonna open up with the best shape of our lives section because everyone in training camp is in the best shape of their life. Danny Kelly wrote an article for The Ringer outlining all the players that were in the best shape of their life. I think two or three 49ers made the list. It was great. 
But Ed could, Freeman said every single one of them. Every single one. Ed Freeman asks on Facebook, Aaron Lynch looks fitter and more committed this year. Do you see him having a big role? David, is Aaron Lynch going to have a big role? Um, I think he could definitely position himself to. I mean, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, I think great options on the edge, you know, especially, I mean, we know right now that they want to rotate pretty heavily along the defensive line. You know, I think in an ideal world, you're looking at, you know, what, probably six, seven, eight guys that are getting in the neighborhood of like 50 to 60% of the snaps, you know, and that's kind of, they, they can keep guys fresh and, and you're, you know, able to give greater effort when you're out there. And so I think when you look at what that uh, potentially looks like on the outside, I mean, I think it's obviously Doomerville is going to be in there in sub package situations, probably almost exclusively. I think then you have, uh, you know, Mod Brooks that's in that conversation, Eli Harold, Aaron Lynch, like nobody really, I, I mean, Aaron Lynch, it, has more recently um, given us kind of uh, glimpses of top end performance out of that group, you know, more so than anybody else. So um, I think, yeah, if he's, if he's in it, if he's actually kind of committed, which it seems like, uh, you know, he appears to be, and I I always kind of take a lot of this stuff, a lot of the camp reports uh, with a pretty massive grain of salt, because, you know, you just hear this stuff. It's the case for every single team, you know, you hear these uh, type of reports for So, I don't put a ton of stock into it, but yeah, if I think if it actually plays out that way, um, he has an opportunity because there's not a lot of proven guys on the edge there that uh, I think you're you're locking into a significant amount of playing time right now. Yeah, he's down to 273 pounds, and apparently, I mean, he according to 49ers.com, he started his career at 249 pounds. That got up to over that got up to about 300 pounds, and now he's down to 273. If if that 273 helps him move a little better and move a little faster around the edge, then yeah, I think he could definitely contribute. And very much like David said, with the rotation, oftentimes when you see players have smaller roles or when they're not you know, put up against the same people over and over and over again, sometimes their efficiency metrics kind of take a tick up a little bit just because you know, you've got the, the rarity of facing someone over and over and over again. The moves that you use are going to be new. Uh, you're fresh. You're faster. I mean, I could definitely see him having a role. Do I think he's going to have a breakout role or a breakout year? I mean, I guess it depends on defined breakout. More than six sacks? Because didn't he have six sacks uh, like two years ago? Yeah, he was in that range. I think... Uh, yeah. I, I Is he going to have exactly, more than six but... sacks? I, mean, I think maybe six sacks might be, you know, kind of a good area. So I don't know that that's necessarily a breakout. I think it's kind of like you're going to do your job. Yeah, I think it would still be really surprising if he like was pushing double-digit sacks, right? Like that would be an yeah. unexpected thing, I think, based on... Um, you know, what we know about him. I mean, I think the talent's there, right? I think we've we've seen that. He and he was somebody that uh was kind of one of those players a lot like Eric Armstead so far, where uh his overall pressure numbers were a lot higher than his sack totals. And I think, you know, that is definitely more important when you're judging the quality of the pass rusher and and uh you know trying to determine what level of pass rusher they're gonna be going forward, right? Because if you see somebody that has not a ton of overall pressures, but a really high portion of those pressures that turn into sacks. That's not something that's very likely to stick. Um, whereas you have somebody that, uh, you know, has a high overall rate of pressure, but a low percentage of those that are turning into sacks, there's a really good chance that he's going to, uh, you know, see that a little uptick in the sack department most of the time. Now, obviously he's had some other things going on that is kind of complicated that, but you know, if, if all of a sudden we're getting back to, you know, the Aaron Lynch of what, 2014, was that his kind of best year, 2013, 2014, whatever that was. Um, You know, if we're seeing that type of player, then yeah, I think, you know, um, kind of a return to form would be more, uh, I think, the way that I would look back. Let's get out of the best shape of our lives section and go straight to the running backs, our favorite topic this year, especially because of undrafted free agent Matt Breida, Breida the Cheetah. He is uh, he is basically the the official better rival, better rivals bandwagon uh, has Matt Breida's face just stamped All on the aboard. side of it. Plenty All of room. The, yeah, uh, I think the choo choo tweet is just it's <laughs> funny because I read it in your voice and you, that's not something you would say out loud typically. So it's just nope, funny. I'm probably almost never. Yeah, no, nope, no. Uh, <laughs> do it now. Are you going to say it now? No, we haven't had enough beer for that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh jay patel on twitter asks how many games does brita appear on the game day roster uh same question for trent taylor i'm gonna go ahead and qualify this and say the 45 man roster not the 53 that's tough um because i think the way 
that it seems most likely to me to work out right now is that they end up with four running backs, right? That they keep and and whether all of those are going to be active on game day like that, I think is less certain, right? I think probably not. Um, and, and so I think those four uh, are at this point seem to be pretty clear in, in being Carlos Hyde, uh, you know, Hightower, Joe Williams and Brita. And I, I think that right now you probably have to lean more towards Carlos Hyde and Hightower that, that kind of at least start. I think it would be a little bit of an upset for those two not to, to be getting, uh, you know, the majority of snaps early on. Um, and then I think you could see, yeah, that I, I, I guess if I had to put a number. Ah, oh, man, I want to say that, like, I don't know that it gets to double digits, but I think maybe like six to eight in there. Oh, like that's I, that's more than I would say. I, w- I would have said about five. So I, I would say that, you know, and this is, of course, barring injury. This is unless because if right, sure. Tim Hightower goes down or something happens to Carlos Hyde or something, then, of course, all you know, all bets are off. But I think if, if everyone stays healthy. I think near the end of the year and the final five games when it's pretty clear that we are out of it, you might see Shanahan tinker more with Brita or Joe Williams. Unless, of course, Brita can provide some value on special teams. I don't know if he'll return kicks. I don't know if maybe he'll be on, you know, kind of the the punt team. He doesn't seem, I mean, his speed would indicate that he might be able to do that. He hasn't returned kicks at all or returned punts, I mean. Yeah, he's um, only had so because somebody asked about this today, actually, and uh, he only had so in three years in in college, he had five total returns and they were all kick returns, um, never had a punt return. So and I haven't seen I mean, unless I've missed something, uh, I, I haven't seen any mentions of him getting like action or looks as a return man. Um, they seem to have, you know, kind of a number of other guys that that uh, are probably a little bit better fits for that role. Um, so I don't know that he really, yeah, contributes a lot on, on that front. Um, but yeah, I think you start to see like what he can do, obviously. on I think the coverage units are, are probably a, a more likely spot um, or, or, you know, something like that. But um, yeah, it's going to be. What about Trent Taylor then? Oh, Trent Taylor is, I mean, barring injury, he's going to be active for all 16 games. All 16. Yeah, yeah I, he's going to be one of the top five. I don't see any way that that doesn't happen at this point. Yep, um, I mean, exactly. he's, I think he's very clearly, uh, you know, one of the, the top, I think I would say four, probably I feel pretty comfortable top four. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that he's going to carve out, I mean, dude just gets open and he catches everything. Um, and, and I think you're always going to find a place for those type of guys as much as, you know, it curly played well last year. And, uh, you know, it, it, I think I like him. I, I, can very easily see a situation in which Trent Taylor passes him up and is getting the the majority of the slot uh, snaps. So Ben Grunbaum on Twitter follows up with a Brita question, and he says, with all the Brita, the goat buzz, uh, and Williams with the facepalm, does the front office have the balls to dump Williams on the practice squad and put Brita on the 53? Uh, there's no chance that's happening. In terms Absolutely of Williams not. on the practice squad. Um, no, because yeah, he'd have to clear waivers. Yeah, and he, that's just like, what, uh, third round pick, fourth round pick? Um, uh, I think fourth. Yeah, it's just there's no chance that he ends up on the practice squad. Yeah, um, because another, yeah, if he were if he were cut, like you said, he would be picked up, snatched up in a minute. And so another another Joe Williams question from Loco Ways. Uh, I think that's his given name. This is from Facebook. <laughs> uh, Loco Ways totally sounds like a you can't lie name. on there. Yeah, no, you can't. It's 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 Facebook. If you read it on the internet, it must be true. Thoughts on Joe Williams fumbling on his first carry? Don't care. I, yeah, it doesn't really matter. He had some, I, I guess you could say he had some fumbling issues in college, but it's he is not going to be the the Bell Cower premier back right now. He's got time to tighten that up, and I think I, I believe in the coaching staff, and he'll get it figured out. And if he doesn't, oh well. Yeah, I mean, but it, it's, I'm unconcerned either way. It's practice. Like, uh, these aren't the type of things, you know, unless he's like dudes out there dropping every single carry or something like that, then okay, like maybe you start to get concerned. But uh, yeah, I, I think this is the time where mistakes are made and, and you should expect them to be made. Uh, and I don't think it's a, a large concern when they are. So moving on, you've got Carlos Hyde questions. This was the, the, I guess the comment du jour before training camp, because news was that he could be a quote surprise cut. And so Sheldon Stoffer says, is Hyde going to start? And is there any truth to the rumors about him being cut before opening day? I think it is, well, Carl, first of all, Carlos Hyde, another man is in the best shape of his life. Let's go ahead and put that Absolutely. out there. 
I think that might be the call to action. Best shape of our <laughs> lives. Best shape of your life. Done. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I think Carlos Hyde is going to start, and he's the clear starter, and he's the unquestioned starter, and you want Carlos Hyde starting in your offense. Like, that guy's not getting cut. Uh, I, I mean, the, the Carlos Hyde getting cut stuff was laughable the entire time. I mean, you just had to look at the source to where all that started. I mean, Grant Cohn was the guy that got this fucking ball rolling. Like, you really need to say any more than that? Like, it's it's kind of absurd. Um, everybody wanted to jump on the Joe. I think, I think if the MMQB article that talked about the Joe Williams stuff so in-depth and about how that whole draft process went down, if that article never comes out, this storyline doesn't exist. Because it's just it it doesn't make any sense. Carlos Hyde is, I think, very clearly at this point, still the most talented back that they have on this roster. That may change, you know, a year from now, two years from now, or whatever. I mean, he's obviously entering the last year of his his contract, yeah, and there's they can no make guarantee. a business decision. Yeah, like they have now. I think um, two young running backs that I think uh, you know people feel that there's some talent there to work with, and we know the history of you know Shanahan and Bobby Turner finding running backs uh in you know later rounds or undrafted guys and getting big time production out of them and so I think yeah it makes a lot of sense for them to say like okay yeah we like you Carlos Hyde but we, we get, we're going to turn things over to these young guys we're not going to extend you like that's a smart football move to do like you you don't really want to get in the business I think of giving out a ton of big second contracts to running backs generally um but yeah I mean right now he's still the guy and he's uh you know still Obviously, injury is is always going to be a concern with him, and he has to prove that he can stay healthy. And uh, there's certainly no guarantee that he's going to make it through all 16 games. But at this point, he is the guy. He is the one that's going to go out there and get the majority of the carries. And by all accounts, he is the best back in camp. Yeah. By all non-Grant Cone accounts, which are the ones that you should pay attention to. Yeah. So let's switch to another skill position, and that's going to be tight ends. Caleb D. Whoa, that's the, uh, we knew we were going to get one. When you're there, you know, you can come to better rivals for lots Caleb of things. And one of T. <laughs> Caleb. What up? De S. Tang. De- <laughs> I'm sorry, Caleb. I'm so sorry. Caleb Tenney asks, what do you think happens with Cole Hikatini, undrafted tight end, who, uh, uh, you know, at this point, if you think George Kittle's tight end one, you've got Vance McDonald, Garrett Selleck, Logan Paulson, and Cole Hikatini battling for what may be two other spots. So Blake does Bell. Cole make it? Oh, I forgot Blake Bell because so did everyone else. The Bell Dozer. <laughs> I still want him to do something. Uh, just don't think we've heard him, his name even a single time uh, from nope. like a camp report. But uh, I, I think he probably is a, a pretty good candidate for practice squad uh, at this point. Like I, 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 it wouldn't be crazy. Like I could definitely see a scenario in which he, uh, you know, latched onto the fifty-three. Um, but I think that involves you really parting ways with all of the four, like all of the veterans that were, uh, you know, holdovers from the previous regime. Like I think McDonald and Selleck, uh, it would have to be, and Blake Bell would all have to be gone. And then you're looking at Kittle Paulson and Hikatini. Like that's the scenario to me that that happens. And I don't think that that's terribly likely. I think, I think Vance is going to find a way to stick around. Um, I do too. And, and be one of those guys. And so I think it's more a situation where you're looking at Kittle, McDonald, I, th- I think Paulson's still there. I think he's still uh, somebody that they like as a run blocker. They like to, you know, run the ball out of multiple tight end sets. And so I think he's going to play a role there for sure. And then you're looking at somebody like Hikatini uh, to be on the practice squad for a year. And then once they move on from Vance, you know, he's he's hopefully going to be uh, your guy that gets the call up and uh, is able to contribute down the road a little bit. 100% agree. I think that the hype train is strong with Cole, but... He is not someone that I can see making it past the final roster cut, mostly because they're, the part of the game that you have to play is whether or not you expose these players to waivers. One thing that could change this calculus is if Cole has a ridiculous preseason, and it's entirely possible, I, especially in this offense. But I still think that he gets cut and he clears waivers and he ends up on the practice squad. So let's switch to the defense and let's talk a little bit about the secondary because Wyoming Sean asks, how concerning are the injuries in the secondary? If you haven't been keeping up with the injuries, you've got basically everyone with a sprained <laughs> ankle. You've got Eric Reed, who sprained an ankle, but then came back to practice. He's now a full go. Jaquaski Tart hurt his ribs. You've got Jimmy Ward, who's still out with a hamstring that he hurt in conditioning drills, which has got to suck. Uh, it's like, hey, you're back. First day at work. Run a sprint. Oh, no. 
Uh, <laughs> I guess Bruce Allington's contagious. Uh, and then I feel like there's there's one more that I might be forgetting. Um, or maybe that's it. You've got Eric Reed, Jukowski Tart, Jimmy Ward. Yeah, it was just it was like the top three safeties were all hurt at one point, and I think that was really. Oh, the... and Keith Reeser. I think Keith Reeser like tweaked an ankle at one point because Dante yeah. Johnson was there, yeah, uh, and so yeah. that's a lot. That's a lot of people. It is. Um, are those injuries concerning at all? Um, I think none of them have have really shown to be serious. You know, like um, n- nothing seems to be a long-term concern at this point. I mean, they're, they're being pretty cautious with Ward and, you know, they're going to take it slow, easing him back in. But I think, yeah, if, if uh, I think very clearly, if uh, all of a sudden these turn into things that keep these guys off the field for any length of time, and and you're starting to talk about uh, their status for week one being in jeopardy, then yeah, that is a major concern. But um, I think right now they seem to be relatively minor injuries and I'm not, you know, really too worried about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, safety is we, we've talked about a you know a few times now is is an important part of this defense, and um, you know, and their ability to be successful is going to hinge a lot on the play that they get from those positions. So I think yeah, if all of a sudden you're down your top two, maybe three guys, like that's a that's a problem. But I think they've lucked out so far, and it doesn't seem to be anything uh, too concerning that's going to last you know into the regular season. Well, Steve Busicio, a uh, longtime friend of 49ers from the web zone days, is even saying that there's a sky's falling level of concern at free safety. It doesn't sound like you're at the sky's falling uh, level of concern quite yet. No, not at all. I, I think that, you know, with Ward, there's it's he's going to be fine. I mean, all, all accounts writer that this is an, uh, a non-serious injury that they're just kind of taking things slow with and that he's going to be fine. Uh, you know, by the time at the very least the regular season rolls around, I mean, we still have like a little over a month, but before we get uh, to regular season games here. So I think, yeah, at this point, I'm still not really all that concerned. If all of a sudden there's like a setback with that and he's, uh, you know, looking like he's going to miss some, some games like in the regular season, then yeah, that becomes, you know, a, a much higher level of concern there. And I think, you could probably get away if you needed to with uh, with Tart and Reed as your guys uh, to start with, but that's certainly not ideal. I mean, I don't think you really uh, want either one of those as your deep safety. Um, you know, I think ideally you have somebody else. Those guys are going to be more box players, but um, I think it, was yeah. it surprising to you that they're playing Jaquaski as the primary backup to Jimmy Ward? A little bit, um, though. I think it comes because it down was surprising to, to me. I was surprised. <laughs> I think it was, uh, you know, at least initially, but I think when you view it from a standpoint of, A, I, I definitely think he's the third most talented safety that they have on the roster, right? And so if you're just looking for, okay, what's the next best player that we have there, um, it makes a little bit of sense there. And I think, too, also, you see a lot of, uh, you know, wanting to get some experience at multiple positions throughout camp, right? It, and you see that at, at various levels there. So I think maybe it's a, a situation where they want him to kind of be the the swing safety essentially for lack of a better term and be able to kind of fill in at both of those spots. And so they want to get him uh, some experience there. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, the Lorenzo Jerome is obviously hype trains strong with him too. Um, I think as much as we, you know, like breed, I think it's important to say that like, this is me. I mean, this is maybe the first undrafted guy that I've given more than a second thought to, you know, and since we've been doing this podcast. And so I think you still have to look at it as it's it's far more unlikely that these undrafted guys don't do anything, um, you know, than they turn out to be quality players. I think with Brita, the thing, the appeal there with him was the uh, not not only that I, that we think he's a good player, but that the history there of you know this these coaches with Bobby Turner and Shanahan being able to find guys late, you know, makes it more appealing, you know, when they when they take a guy like him late. So. Um, I, I don't really see that with Lorenzo Jerome right away. Like it would be very surprising if they felt comfortable putting him in there, you know, in regular season action very early on if Ward has to miss some time. So I think that it's probably not something you should be terribly worried about right now. I would start to worry if, cause this is the end of the first week. So you've got basically one week of, of rest and he's working out on the side it, once this stretches maybe beyond week two, that's where I'd probably start to get concerned. I would hopefully start think that they start to work him in sometime next week, but we'll see what happens. I think if he's not in the third preseason game, like if he doesn't play then, then I'm starting to get 
then I'm worried all of a sudden. But if I think if they hold him out of these these first couple games there, that's not really a huge deal to me. Like they can take their time. It's more important that he's healthy later. It's it's, it's more importantly that he's healthy in four weeks than it is that in, in two weeks. You know what I mean? And I would switch to some team and general questions, and we're also going to sprinkle in some of the fun questions that uh, the listeners on Twitter posted because we love these questions and they're hilarious. And so we're going to answer them because it, it's our show and we do whatever the hell we want. Uh, so uh, this, is, well, this isn't going to be one of the fun ones, though, but it is going to be an important one. James Weeb, I think that's how you pronounce it, asks, we saw O-line and DBs get banged or beat in 1v1. What should we expect in those drills that give the wide receivers and QBs or, de- or defensive linemen a clear advantage? And I think that the question's a little bit front-loaded from James because he very accurately points out that those 1v1 drills are going to lean towards one specific, one specific player or one specific side of the ball. When you're looking at a quarterback and a wide receiver versus a defensive back, the, the, the wide receiver and quarterback should win almost every time. It is not set up for the defensive back to win. In fact, if the defensive back does win in some way, shape, or form, or maybe makes a pick, that's the thing that should be like, oh, wow, that's ridiculous. And same thing with, one v- with 1v1 on the offensive and defensive line. It's, it's kind of built for the defensive lineman to, to win. And that's because in an offensive line, and similar, similar thing with the, with the defensive backfield, you, you're going to have help. You're going to have a system around you that you can pass people off to where you know you have help inside. You can get better leverage. So it is interesting and fun to see these 1v1 videos, but you have to contextualize them. And you can't say, oh, my God, Rashard Robinson got beat by Marcus Colston. Or Marcus Colston, Jesus. Marquise Goodwin, 1v1. Marquise Goodwin is the GOAT. It's like, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's 1v1. And it's cool, and I like it, and they're throwing the ball deep. And it's good to see that we've got somebody with wheels, but... That's about where it begins and ends. Yeah, I think uh, it's it, it's very hard for um, for most people to put practice stuff into context, right? Like uh, it's the same reason like we see people, you know, some people making a big deal out of like quarterback uh practice stats right and oh those are the worst and, and he went 11 for 22 and yeah, like, was like i don't care uh yeah don't don't give a shit um and i i think yeah so with with those drills the 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 one-on-one stuff in particular like the the attacking player in that drill is always going to have the advantage so in in o-line d-line that's going to be the defensive lineman in uh wide receiver cornerback matchups that's going to be the wide receiver right those are the players that really the expectation is that they should win just about every time. Um, and, and so it's it's when you see those reps where, uh, you know, the offensive lineman does get a stop or, the, you know, the corner does prevent a completion. Those are kind of the big, uh, like, standout moments, I guess, of, of those type of drills if you wanted to point to something like. Uh, and, and I think, you know, obviously the coaches know this. Um, you know, the players know this. Uh, Jared Brown um, you know, mentioned after, you know, somebody had asked this question on, on Twitter and replied to it. And Jared Brown mentioned uh, that the the Niners DB coach, Jeff Halfley, uh, had mentioned, you know, the, uh, something similar during, you know, one of the one of his talks with the media there. And essentially that like, yeah, obviously coaches know what's going on, you know, and, and, and who is supposed to win these matchups. And uh, if essentially they want to see guys compete, right? They, they, you want to see those cornerbacks knowing that it, it's almost certain that they're going to get beat in these drills. You want to see them compete for the ball. You want to see them try to get their hands on it. Um, you know, same thing for the O-lineman. Uh, Jeff Schwartz, you know, former NFL offensive lineman, of course, mentioned the same thing with uh, uh, the, the one-on drills, one-on-one drills for O-line, D-line in terms of like, yeah, the D-line should dominate these drills. Um, and, and so, yeah, did that's got to the... be the expectation. Did you see the Sports Illustrated uh, kind of mini video that they made about Miles Garrett and Tyron's or uh, Miles My- Garrett oh, Miles and- <laughs> beating Joe Thomas around the edge? Yeah, and they're yeah, like, yeah. oh my God, and- he beat him. And it's like, that shit was a screen. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was so funny because they literally, someone saw this clip and said go to their social media team, they're like, go make a clip about this right now. Go And some poor freaking social media team member was like all right let me pull up the clip and like probably throws it in premiere and like splices it up and adds a graphic and it's like oh wow he beat joe thomas and as soon as everyone saw that they're like yeah dude that's a screen like and miles garrett does do some i mean he does he has a nice bend he's got a nice explosion off the line it's, it's good but it's a screen like <laughs> again context yeah. context matters uh you just gotta try to figure out what you're seeing there before 
you yep. start rushing to judgment. You know, I think that's really what it comes down to. You got to slow down and be like, OK, what's supposed to happen here? What's the expectation? Um, and, and then what is this now? Tell me based on that expectation. So when Carol asks a, a different question, and this is about the quarterbacks, this is going to be about Mr. Brian Hoyer. How many wins under Hoyer will be enough to convince the Niners to pass on a, quote, franchise quarterback, end quote, in this next draft and focus on other needs? What is your win total for Kyle Shanahan to be like, I'm okay with riding Hoyer into the future? <laughs> uh, 27? Are there? Can we win that many games in, in one season? Uh, I, I think, think so. I think that's the number. Yeah. I, I, if, you I add, if, if you add all of the moral victories... <laughs> <laughs> plus, all, plus all of the like, if you take every half as its own discrete there game. Yep, that's and it. then and then you add all of the moral victories. Uh, I think you get you know a plus minus score of some kind. Roughly, yeah, I think twenty seven seems legit. Um, I mean, it's not happening. There's they they know what it is. Like the contract says what he is. Uh, you know, yeah. he knows. Always follow the money. He knows. Did what you he not is. watch the wire? <laughs> Always follow the money. Um, I, yeah, I, I think it's, it's pretty clear that they plan on doing one of two things at the quarterback position next year. And that's going to be either draft somebody or give Kirk cousins a lot of money. Um, you know, hopefully not the latter, but, um, yeah, I think that's the direction that we're headed here. Um, yeah, used to it, David, just nope, let it wash yet. over you. Nope. Nope. Let it wash la, la, over la, 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 la. Um, I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a Michigan state Spartans flag right behind me. Uh, so that you can just see that and just get get primed. We'll throw get up. Primed I'm not going to see that anymore. Pretty soon I'm going to be in the same room and then it'll be to my back too. So joke's on oh, you. Oh, all right. Yeah, even better because now I can torment you in real life. <laughs> uh, uh, but I think yeah. a, a corollary to this question comes from Kevin Dent. Is eight wins a reasonable goal? And I think we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about the the mean wins projection about what we thought the 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 likely win outcome was going to be. And I think... I based on that, I don't think eight wins is a reasonable goal. I think eight wins is like a near best case scenario stretch goal. Like that's if everything goes right, if everything goes right and you get fumble luck and you stay healthy and you win in close games and all of the things that are not sustainable over a long period of time, you have like, you know, ridiculous turnover margins in your favor probably because you had, you won some fumble luck. I think that is like a stretch max kind of season that would almost be shitty because it would mean that to a certain degree you would regress in year two unless you, you know, upgraded the quarterback position quite a bit, but that's a different story. So I don't think it's a reasonable goal. David, do you? No, not at all. I I think that uh, is, is like you said, very much a best case scenario type of thing. Um, You know, and it like it, it sucks because that's getting floated out there by, I mean, uh, I think it was Kevin Jones that had an article a little while back. That's like eight and eight should yeah, be like, the expectation. Eight, yeah. Uh, no, and it's like, no, it shouldn't. Nope. Uh, that's, that's not how it works. Um, and so, yeah, I think that you got to remember that this team had, I don't even think it, you would have to argue very hard, like had the lowest level of talent of any roster last year. Um, like the, the, the number of players that they have that you can really, again bank on are are very low you know i think they have some young players that you're hoping are going to develop but we've had this conversation now for you know what three years uh in in terms of banking on these young players right how many times did we have people that were banking on these last few uh bulky draft classes to to come in and fill in for all of these players that they lost and it just didn't happen like none of this stuff is guaranteed even players that seem uh, you know, that you feel really confident and, you know, even somebody like Ruben Foster, like I think everybody thinks that he's going to be a good player, right? Barring something, uh, you know, something injury wise or, or something crazy, but you just, you just never know like shit happens and, and they don't always pan out the way that you hope. Um, and so I think right now they have, I mean, you can count probably the number, you don't even need an entire hand to count the number of players that you can really rely on and know you know uh that this is what we're going to get from this player this season uh and and have that actually be at a high level right so i I think yeah they still have a long way to go there and um like we mentioned earlier i think they will be better i think they're they'll be a more competitive team this year they're not there yet and and eight wins is like a uh as an expectation is i think uh pretty unreasonable right now i think that's really really high so this is going to be one of the first questions that we received that was split based on the host. And this comes from Thomas on Twitter. And David, the question for you is, does the offensive line 
have any upside? And if so, what is their ceiling? Um, I think there is some. I, I, I think you're looking uh, mostly to Josh Garnett and Trent Brown, right? If, you, if you're looking for what, how does this line improve, uh, you know, fairly significantly here and um, and be much better than it was last year. And I think it's those two players in particular are kind of uh, taking steps forward and, and really becoming quality players. You know, even even I think just average players uh, in, in both phases for them would be a really big step forward. Uh, and, and really help this offensive line out as a whole. So I think if they, if that were to happen, um, I mean, I think their, their ceiling is that they could be like an average offensive line, right? Maybe, you know, I don't know, somewhere in there, give or take a, a little bit if you're going to rank them all out 1 to 32. But um, those, I, I think those two things are, are far from certain. I think, you know, Trent Brown has certainly shown a lot from a pass protection standpoint. And I think he uh, has been pretty solid there. But uh, the run game's kind of been a disaster. Josh Garnett's been a disaster in both phases. Um, you know, I, uh, I I feel like there's this narrative that he kind of got better as the season went along last year, and that was not the case at all. Like, he had some of his worst games at the end of the year last year. Um, he's going into a scheme that, again, uh, not convinced that he's a, an excellent fit for. Um, and pass protection, I mean, pass protection was a problem in college for him, and it has continued to be... Uh, a, a big problem last year. So I think there's a lot of question marks as to whether those things could happen, but they're both still young. And that's where I think you're looking at uh, to, to look for major improvement from this group. All right. And the question for me is, will San Francisco run play action often? And if so, what are hires, what are Hoyer's play action statistics? Well, we will most definitely run play action often. This is pretty much one of the basic fundamental tenets of the Kyle Shanahan offense. They ran, uh, Matt Ryan ran play action 27.6% of the time, which was the highest in the NFL last year by about three percentage points. So head and shoulders above everyone else on running play action. And that's not going to change with Brian Hoyer in San Francisco. Now, Brian Hoyer's statistics when he was running play action last year in Chicago are a little bit more difficult to suss out. We do know from the Football Outsiders Almanac that he ran play action about 14% of the time, which was actually a bit less than they ran with Jay Cutler. But that's about it. Overall, in limited play last year, Brian Hoyer's stats were pretty dang good. They had 204 plays. Um, his DR was 404. That's kind of uh, yards above replacement, which is just telling you how much better than like an average replacement level quarterback he would be, which is pretty good. If you think of uh, Colin Kaepernick and Blaine Gabbert measured by that same statistic, Colin Kaepernick is negative 145 and Blaine Gabbert is negative 158. So Brian Hoyer is quite an upgrade over both of those players. And, and I would expect him to be an upgrade in, in San Francisco as well. So I think they're going to run a lot of play action. I think Hoyer's probably going to benefit from some play action. And you're going to see a ton of it over and over and over again. Look for more than one out of every four plays. Yeah, I think the one thing um, that will probably... I, I wouldn't expect them to lead the league like it is with Matt Ryan. Because play action is something that... Uh, as much as you want to have that early on, right, and that you would expect uh, them to have a really high percentage in the first half, they're going to be losing. Doesn't work. Doesn't work uh, when you're in the fourth quarter and you're down by twenty. Yeah, so there, there's going to get to a point in a lot of these games where they're, where they're trailing and they go into pure dropback mode, right? Like in Atlanta, obviously last year they were winning a lot of the time, and so you can really stick with your play action game, um, you know, for the duration. I, I think the even the Niners last year. I mean, we talked about Chip Kelly using play action heavily. Both Gabbert and Kaepernick used play action right around 23% of the time, which was still high. And that would have been, you know, probably much higher if they were uh, more competitive or winning in games and able to, you know, trying to kind of run out leads as opposed to uh, trying to play catch up in the fourth quarter the entire time. So I think that's the one thing you don't necessarily expect it to lead the league like Matt Ryan did, but it's going to be a big part of the offense for sure. It's going to be a big part early on, especially. All right, so Andy Laird on Facebook asks, which one of us would get up the hill first? Uh, that's actually, I think, a really, really good question. He followed up by saying that he thinks that my former rugby training would be an, an advantage over David's military training, which I, I doubt entirely. Um, but I, actually, what's funny is uh, I'm looking at Twitter right now, and there's a tweet from Eric Branch, and it's a quote from Dante Johnson. And he said that Dante Johnson's initial reaction to the team's 35-foot training hill was, quote, honestly, I thought it was a joke. And the follow-up question, Chris Biederman says that Dante Johnson said that doing bear crawls backwards 
up the new 35-foot hill was like multiplying the most extreme quad workout by 10. So they're not messing around with this hill. And my question is, do you, who do you think would get up fastest, you or me? I mean, so here's the problem. Like, I feel pretty confident in, in my ability. Like, um, I haven't really seen you in, like, an athletic setting, though. Like, we've never, like, played... <laughs> uh you know any sort of sports together like uh and so i don't know i don't know where you're at with this right now um i'm gonna go ahead and put my money on me i'm gonna, I'm gonna put gonna my say, money on me too actually i'm i'm, I'm yeah. gonna go ahead and say i could i could probably take you on i hill. used to so there when i was growing up right so and this was like stupid young me that was like oh jerry rice ran up a hill i need to find a hill to run up and i actually had a hill that was like not far like uh right behind my house essentially I lived out like in the middle of nowhere. And so there was this like uh, hill that was just a little bit that I would run up and I would like run sprints up this hill. That was like a pretty stupid incline. It was a terrible idea. But at the time I was like, I'm going to be like Jerry Rice. Yeah. And then yeah, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and say that your 10 year old uh, when you were 10 years old conditioning is not going mean, to was now. in high school. Yeah. I mean, this was in high school. Uh, gonna, it doesn't and, apply right now. But, you know, I'm going to uh, I'm going to still, you know. Your hair is quite a bit less aerodynamic now. I think every little bit counts. Uh, you haven't cut your hair I mean, in quite a while. We're almost at a point though. We can just we can just kind of slick that back in the man bun, and then we're even more aerodynamic. So <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. You know if we're gonna if we have, do you know ever, what we're gonna do we're gonna find a hill and we're gonna race up it. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think that's yeah, the it's only thirty five feet. Yeah. It's thirty five feet. We're uh, not gonna we find know. a hill exactly like that. We're just gonna find like a slight incline. A slight incline. Yeah. All right. I mean, we're right, both in this. our 30s now. Like, let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Stuart Wexler on Twitter asked, the team now has 13 wide receivers on the roster. Is it a sign that we should expect more wide receivers on the 53 than originally thought? What the hell gives? So I think we did a bit of a roster analysis uh, probably a month and some change ago about Kyle Shanahan's offenses and how he likes to construct them. And he generally likes to keep anywhere between five and six wide receivers and it just, I think, depends on the personnel that he's got. So you're looking for somewhere in the neighborhood of five to six wide receivers. I think that they will probably only keep five wide receivers. And even if they did keep six, that's not an unusual amount of wide receivers to keep on a roster. I think once you start getting into like the seven and eight wide receivers on a roster, that's where it's a little weird. But I think you're probably still only going to see five wide receivers on the roster. And I don't think that 13 wide receivers means we're going to keep more I just think they're probably looking to see which wide receivers come to the top because we yeah. are completely starved at wide receiver. And so it's like, well, let's get a bunch of people in here, see who rises to the top and, and just take the best players and go from there. Yeah, I think what that tells me, uh, I don't look at that 13 number and expect them to keep more of those players. What it tells me is that those last few roster spots are uh, there's a lot of uncertainty involved in in terms of who is going to claim those spots. So I think you look at guys like, Obviously, Garcon, um, I think Goodwin at this point, probably Curly, Trent, uh, Trent Taylor. And then after that, I think, um, you know, you start for that fifth and sixth spot. I think it starts to get a little dicey, right? You could see, I, I think you could make a case for a number of different players there. And that's why uh, I think they have a ton of options, right? They want to see who kind of wins out there. Um, and again, they needed a big overhaul at this position. And so... I think it's good to see them bring in a lot of new players. But yeah, the, the sheer number of them right now doesn't really indicate to me that they plan on keeping more than normal. All right. So another one of the fun questions, but Jeff Wallitzer Jr. asked, what do you think of the Game of uh, Thrones season so far? David, you're a big Game of Thrones fan. Do you like it now that you're clear past the books and things are moving at a quite a pretty good pace? I'm into it, man. Um, I want to see. Well, hold on. For those people that aren't caught up, are you going to give any spoilers or not? I mean, maybe a little bit. Yeah, if you uh, haven't seen all of the episodes of Game of Thrones, then like you should probably skip forward a couple minutes. Probably a good call. Yeah. Um, all right. I want Cersei to die so bad. Uh, that's really <laughs> that's really where I'm at right now. Is I just want to see her brutally murdered. Um, but I yeah, still I think, think that I still so think that um, Arya is going to wear Jamie's face to murder Cersei. I think that's I how that she goes. In. I don't think that's going to happen. I think she's. And then, I think and she's going to go north. Prophecy. I think Jamie just might kill her. I think Jamie just might do it. I don't know, man. Jamie seems like he's very much in he, love. And he won't do waffles about though. It. He, he goes back and forth a little bit. Like you see these glimpses of like him being good, and he's like when he's around Cersei, they they're they're definitely 
fewer of those moments, but they're still there. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I think I think at, at some point she's going to do something uh, terrible enough to to break him. You know what I don't want? I don't want John and Daenerys to hook up in any kind of romantic sexual way. Yeah, That's not like, into I, that I uh, cousin action. They're not cousins. It's an or, aunt. She's his aunt. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. That, I mean, that's it, weird. Yeah. No, no. Definitely weird. And I know the Targaryens, <laughs> like, they're like, you know, because gotta they're keep, Targaryens. Gotta keep the bloodlines pure, man. No. No, no, no. That's how you get <laughs> hemophilia. That's the only thing that's good for. And, yeah, yeah, I just, I don't, no. I'm not on board. I want them to form an alliance, and I want them to have dragons, and I want them to go crazy, but that's about it. I don't, I don't want that. I, I want to see Ghost on a dragon. I mean, that's really... <laughs> that's really all that i got left i want ghost my, on dragon my favorite my favorite tweet from the last game of thrones episode was a picture of daenerys saying what if i just got on a dragon and burned down all their ships and Tyrion, and like it cuts to Tyrion, and he's like hbo doesn't have the cgi budget for that because <laughs> <laughs> that's why that's why they don't have the direwolves anymore because it's no, too it's expensive so much bullshit because ghost should always be there ghost should be there uh, wherever john is ghost should be Always. But that's too much CGI. Can't I do don't it. Care. Can't win with them. Can't do it. So Jason Bin asks, what are some player ceilings you believe can be reached this season? And any surprise cut predictions for the final 53? So why don't you just name one player that you think is going to hit their ceiling this year and then a surprise cut? Go. See, I don't know that I got think already. any player is going to... So the thing is right now with this this roster, I think a lot of the players that you would point to, right, are the younger guys, right, that you're expecting to to develop. But I don't think any of them are at a stage where, I, where I'm ready to say that, like, okay, 2017 is going to be their best season, right? So who... Like, you're basically saying who is going to hit their peak, right? Who is going to play the best There's season that they've ever played? There's one obvious answer. There's one obvious answer. I mean, Carlos Hyde? Nope. That's... I, I, I don't think, like, I, I look at all of the defensive players, and I don't think... Oh, Carlos Hyde's probably a good one. I think, no, it's Brian Hoyer. Oh, I don't think he's he, going to have we're, his we're gonna We're going to get peak Brian Hoyer. I don't think so. It's just gonna, I, think, I mean, it's just going to be Brian, normal Brian Hoyer. That's whatever. That's my point. That's exactly that's my point. Peak. It's just going to be... But that is. That's his ceiling. He's peak. That's it. Uh, well, I mean, that's all you get. Fine, maybe. Maybe your, I'll get your, that. Your, your ceiling is too high. Your ceiling is too high, my friend. Bring your ceiling down here to the short people level. <laughs> and, and you'll understand that Brian uh, Hoyer is going to do, you know, good, like, like a, above average quarterbacking. I think. And, th- uh, and that's his ceiling. See, actually, and even the Carlos Hyde one, I'm kind of talking myself out of uh, as I almost talked myself into it because I think the offensive line is going to be a, enough of a problem that it oh. kind of prevents um any sort of like major season there so yeah um yeah i think they're at a stage right now where um i mean i guess maybe you want to go to brian Hoyer. i don't really like that option um but i think a lot of the guys that you're excited about defensively you know especially i I don't think they're ready to hit their ceiling yet i think you know for guys like buckner um even armstead and and i think with you know some of these rookies that are coming in and foster and thomas like they're their peak and their ceiling is going to happen. I think in a couple of years, right. You're looking for, I think somebody like Buckner, right. He stays healthy. I think he's going to be great. He's, I think he's going to be the best player on that defense, maybe the best player on the team. Um, but I still think that you're looking at, you know, two, three years down the road before he really, uh, hits that peak season that we're going to see from him. All right. And the final two questions we're going to round out here from Alex on Twitter. Alex, we always love his questions whenever we do a mailbag because he's always got some interesting ones. So we'll do a, uh, an interesting one or a, a funny one and then his serious one to kind of round out the episode. Number one, which player do you guys think you can take in an Oklahoma drill? David, go. Pick 149er to, to take in an Oklahoma drill. Uh, the answer's always the same. I mean, I'm going Nick Rose. Yeah, Nick Rose, uh, backup kicker. Yeah, out of so Texas. Now, I'm not even go. I'm not only going to the kickers. I'm going to the backup kicker. Um, yeah, that's that's where I'm going to live with this. Nick Rose, yes. bring it on. Nick Rose, six two, listed at six two one ninety. I mean, still probably, probably destroy me, but probably clocks in at a mean one eighty two. I'm I'm actually going to go ahead and say Akella Witherspoon. Give me that. Give me that lanky Gumby. I want I want to see Akella Witherspoon, and I want to uh. see him try and slide tackle me. I mean, Look, if, if I'm going to pick someone who's 6'2", 190, although I'm I guess not the going only with thing a defensive is, player. Uh, well, yeah, but he like, I mean, we saw him slide tackle. I mean, like, yeah, 
I'm, I'm, yeah, I'll sure. give it. I'll give it a whirl. Guess what? I don't look like Carlos Hyde. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking news here. Uh, Robbie Gold. Robbie Gold is 35, though. I feel like I there's mean, maybe, uh, there's like an age. Yeah, there's an age and I think thing he there. actually now that I'm looking at, uh, I I just immediately jumped to like I think we got an extra kicker. I'm gonna go to him. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think Robbie Gold not only is older, He's he shorter. is smaller. So maybe we yeah. do go Robbie Gold. Yeah, I mean that's the obvious answer. But I would, I'll, I'll try my uh, uh, against the Kello. <laughs> nah, I ain't trying to have my day ruined like that. Six three one ninety uh, rookie out of Colorado. Yeah, that would that would be interesting. But the real question is going to be from Alex, and this is going to be our final question for the episode today. Uh, David, you mentioned once before that you were working on every team's best five skill position player lineups for Pro Football Focus. So which five will be the 49ers' best five skill position players in 2017? Go. Um, I would say that it's going to be Carlos Hyde, George Kittle, Pierre Garçon, uh, Trent Taylor, and... uh, I think probably, I guess I'll go Marquise Goodwin because I I feel like even if I don't know how much that group will be on the field together. I mean, hopefully, hopefully a lot, I think, but yeah, um, I, you know, I, I think you could see a situation where Goodwin has a couple of, you know, has a few big plays, like has a few 50, 60 yard plays or something like that, that really can bump that, that average up. Um, so I think that is the group that I think I would lean on right now as being, uh the the best five yeah i think so i do think there's going to be well first of all we agree on kittle and hide i think those are those are obvious ones so really it's what three receiver configuration do you do you go with and i think pierre garçon is a shoo-in so then it becomes your other two obviously goodwin is getting the camp hype i do think there is still a role for aldrick robinson and if you're yep. looking at a non, if you're looking at a non-common wide receiver kind of grouping, I think it's Aldrick Robinson, Garcon, and Goodwin, because n- there's not really a true slot guy in there, and I think that there's there's enough speed there with Robinson and Goodwin that you are threatening defenses in, in a unique way, and they're probably going to be in some weird formation, or they're probably going to be in a bunch set or something because there's not really a true slot guy. I think that might be one where I would lean, but I think, uh, you know, and then the other one would be replacing Trent Taylor with, um, with Jeremy Curley maybe, but, but I think that's, it's probably going to be somewhere in that area. I think four of them are pretty much set. Cause I think Garcon and Goodwin are probably there. Kittle and Hyde are probably, I mean, that's, that's four out of your five. Would you throw another tight end in there was, as like a wild card? So I, I thought about another tight end, but maybe if you see juice is more of, uh, in like an, like I, I wouldn't want to go in like a, uh, a more of a 21 personnel configuration, right? Where you have two backs yeah. in the backfield necessarily. But if, all, if yeah. you're talking about maybe putting juice as, as like a second tight end, you know, as, as like a, an H back type of player, um, that's a little bit more up on the line of scrimmage. I think from there, maybe you can start to, uh, create some more things, but I just think that those, uh, more run heavy formations don't really lend themselves to having like a high, yard per play right your your more pass heavy personnel groupings are yeah. going to be the ones that naturally uh end up with with kind of a higher yards per play figure um so that's why i kind of maybe shy away from that a little bit but um yeah i guess it wouldn't be wouldn't be terribly surprising there i think with robinson and goodwin is interesting I, to me i think it's it's like an that that seems like a, an inefficient grouping right so you have like those yeah. guys you're not it seems really... a little bit like having uh michael crabtree and uh who are all the wide receivers we had that were exactly the same well i think i think um, it's like a boomer bust type of thing right like you could see the that group with with the speed that you get from goodwin and, and robinson on the field at the same time generating some big plays but i i don't think you're you're completing a high percentage of passes with those guys on the field necessarily right so uh i think that kind of maybe balances out a little bit um, so I, I think that's why I would probably go with Trent Taylor because I think there you're starting to look at efficiency, right? He's he's somebody that's going to be in there that's going to be a chain mover, like high completion percentage, you know, when you're targeting him. Um, and, and so I think over a larger sample, that would, would kind of uh, lend itself a little bit more to maybe a higher yard per play. 
Yeah, interesting. Uh, the wide receiver configuration I was thinking of was Stevie Johnson, Michael Crabtree, and Quan Bolden. Where it's like three of the same. Yeah, that's. Like, uh, I mean, that's like the anti Aldrich Robinson and Marquis Goodwin, yeah. right? Like, uh, <laughs> let's get the big slow guys out there. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think that uh, that about does it for this week's mailbag. We had a lot of questions. Uh, thanks to everyone who sent one in, uh, both on Facebook and on Twitter. If you are not following us yet on Twitter, it's uh, surprising that you are listening to this podcast. But <laughs> if for some reason you are listening to this and you don't know where to find us on Twitter, you can find me at Better Rivals. David Worth can find you. Uh, it's going to be at Newman NFL. Um, reminder as well, next week, no podcast, move week. But after that, we're back. Every week. That's right. There will be real we football will not be, to talk about. You're going to be real sad that we're not covering uh, the first preseason game where no, well, I guess some starters will probably start for the Niners, but uh, we will not be on next week. David will be moving all of his stuff back from Pittsburgh to Austin. It'll be good to have him back, and I'm going to greet him with the Michigan State line. <laughs> but we'll follow up. We won't have any sort of preview for the first. I mean, there's nothing to preview for a preseason game anyway, really. It isn't something that we've done, but we'll have. Uh, that'll be right after um, the first preseason game. So we'll, of course, have, uh, you know, reactions and thoughts to all of that. And make sure that if you are indeed downloading this on some kind of device that maybe has iTunes or Google Play on it, leave us a review because it helps other people find the show. It would really, really, really help us out. So definitely do leave a review if you are so inclined to rate us positively. And we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks again to everyone who submitted a question. And as always... Go Niners. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. (laughs) We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.